The Franciscan Friars of the Atonement present the Ave Maria Hour. Hello, this is Father Bob Warren of the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement. Thank you for listening to this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour radio show. The Friars' popular Ave Maria Hour was first brought to the radio airwaves in 1939, recorded in New York City and on the mountainside grounds at Graymoor, a home in Garrison, New York. These timeless classic stories of the Bible and the lives of the saints came to life each week through dramatic reenactment by professional actors and actresses. You know, friends, Christ once said, do not hide your treasure under a bushel. In saying this, he meant share your gifts, share your talents. The Friars of the Atonement feel the message in these broadcasts remains as powerful and timely as when they were originally aired, and we are so happy to be able to share them with you today. To learn more about the missions and ministries of the Friars of the Atonement, I invite you to visit our website, www.atonementfriars.org. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour. Chapter 29 Jesus in Transjordan Defraud not the poor of alms, and turn not away thy eyes from the poor. Despise not the hungry soul, and provoke not the poor in his want. Afflict not the heart of the needy, and defer not to give to him that is in distress. Reject not the petition of the afflicted, and turn not thy face away from the needy. Now certain Pharisees, interested in luring Jesus to the district of Jerusalem, came to him and told him that Herod Antipas was seeking to kill him and that he should leave the territory. But Jesus replied, Go and say to that fox, Behold, I cast out devils and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I am to end my course. Nevertheless, I must go my way today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet perish outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, thou who killest the prophets and stonest those who are sent to thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathers her young under her wings, but thou wouldst not. 
behold, your house is left to you. And I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you shall say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. the scribes and the Pharisees from Jerusalem withdrew in sullen silence to scheme and plot how they might lure him into Judea and thus to his death. But certain others remained to listen, and they discussed how best they might keep watch on him. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother sin rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. Benjamin, come to one side. And if seven times in the day he sin against thee, and seven times in the day turn back to thee, saying, I repent, forgive him. What is it, Ezra? What do you think of the idea of inviting Jesus to supper? Well, I, I don't know. Do you mean with just yourself and family present? No, I'd invite a number of my close friends. Of course, I want you to be present. But do you think others would come, knowing how hostile Jesus is to us? I'm sure they would. For myself, I confess I'd like the opportunity to study the man at close hand. He interests me. I'm sure others feel the same way. I must warn you. There's no telling what he will say to your guests. Why, at Lemuel's, he rose and announced the whole gathering, even the scribes. I've heard of that affair at Lemuel's, but we shall be careful not to provoke any discussion of religion. But he may introduce it himself. Then we shall not enter into it, but remain silent. I think it can be handled. But let all your guests know in advance Jesus is coming. Caution them to keep the conversation in safe channels. Everyone is a close friend or a relative. Some I owe return engagements, others I wish to cultivate. All of them, I'm sure, are anxious to see Jesus away from the crowds that always surround him. Perhaps at a quiet gathering, we'll have the opportunity to find out what the man's really like. That's so. In the company of the leaders and elders, he might confide things he would not to the common crowd. So then I'll extend the invitation I'll let you know at once if he accepts. You can count on me to come early to get a good place. Ezra! Ezra! Caleb! I'm glad you were able to come. Greetings, Ezra. Ah, Seth, I rejoice to see you. I was told you were not coming. Well, I wasn't. First, when I heard you had invited Jesus... He who breaks our Sabbath, who associates with publicans and sinners, like as not he'll rise up in the middle of the feast and insult us all. Aye, Ezra, as he did at Lemuel's house. But at the last minute, I decided to come. I suggest we say nothing that will provoke a religious discussion. Ezra, Jesus is coming now. Where? Uh, where is he? Those onlookers have seen him. Oh, we'll have no peace now. Please, please, don't raise a disturbance, please. I have invited Jesus here for a quiet supper. Now, please be orderly. Benjamin, you had better get rid of that man with the dropsy. I've tried. He won't go. 
Welcome, Rabbi. I am sorry about these people, but somehow word got out that you were coming here. Come, let us go in before they raise another clamor. And Ezra led Jesus into the house on the Sabbath to take food. And the Pharisees watched him. And the man with dropsy came and stood before Jesus, who, seeing his affliction, turned and put a question to those present. Is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath? What's that? I didn't hear. Jesus asks, is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath? And there was silence. Jesus looked at the man with dropsy, and the eyes of all followed his. But no one answered the question. And Jesus went and stood before the afflicted man. Be thou well again. And he healed the man and let him go. The guests looked at each other, and some muttered under their breath, but none spoke out against him. And in the stillness of the room, Jesus addressed them. Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fall into a pit and will not immediately draw him up on the Sabbath? Come, come, let us not discuss these things, but enjoy the meal. Now take your places at the table and we'll begin. Ezra. Yes, Benjamin. Observe how Caleb has taken the first place at the table. That's for Seth. Caleb should know better. Perhaps he's not aware that Seth is coming and has already arrived. Tell him the place is reserved and ask him to take another place. He's entitled to the fourth place. Then there's Daniel sitting at the last place. He's entitled to something better. Yes, yes, of course. You arrange them, Benjamin. I'm sorry, Master, for the delay, but there's been some confusion in places at the table. It will be straightened out in a moment. I'm sorry, Caleb, but this place is reserved for Seth. Would you mind taking the fourth couch? But, but I... Well, very well. And Jesus observed how the Pharisees and the scribes were so concerned with which places belonged to them even as they were jealous of their choice places in the synagogue and in the market. But at last, everyone was seated according to his rank, and the feast was ready to begin. My friends, with us today is a man of whom you all know and of whom you have all heard, Jesus of Nazareth. I've asked him to partake of our company so that we could become better acquainted. Master, 
Would you care to say a few words before we begin the meal? But before you do, I wish to apologize to all of you for the confusion in getting started. Certain guests who were invited did not appear, and there had to be rearrangement of places. Now, Master, we are anxious to hear from you. When thou art invited to a wedding feast, do not recline in the first place, lest perhaps one more distinguished than thou have been invited by him, and he who invited thee and him come and say to thee, Make room for this man. Then thou begin with shame to take the last place. Well said, well said. But when thou art invited, go and recline in the last place, that when he who invited thee comes in, he may say to thee, Friend, go up higher. Then thou wilt be honored in the presence of all at the table with thee. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. You hear that, Seth? I'm afraid, Caleb, if I took last place, Ezra might forget to move me up because he'd have to displace his uncle or his father-in-law. When thou givest a dinner or a supper, do not invite thy friends, or thy brethren, or thy relatives, or thy rich neighbors, lest perhaps they invite thee in return and a recompense be made to thee. But when thou givest a feast, invite the poor, crippled, the lame, the blind, and blessed shalt thou be, because they have nothing to repay thee with, for thou shalt be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Blessed is he who shall feast in the kingdom of God. A certain man gave a great supper, and he invited many, and he sent his servant at supper time to tell those invited to come for everything is now ready. And they all, with one accord, began to excuse themselves. How often that's happened to me. Invited twenty last week, ten sent excuses, and at the last moment. The first said to him, I have bought a farm, and I must go out to see it. I pray thee, hold me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them. I pray thee, hold me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore cannot come. So, master, what did this man do? The servant returned and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house was angry, and said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. And bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, thy order has been carried out, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and make them come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you that none of those who were invited shall taste of my supper. And after the feast was finished, Jesus left that house 
and returned to his disciples and the crowds awaiting him. One by one, the guests took leave of their host, and only a few remained and talked about the man Ezra had invited. And they were puzzled regarding the words he had spoken to them. It's quite evident there's a deeper meaning to his words than a simple tale about a man who gave a feast. But what is the meaning? It's hard to say. But what is it? Well, perhaps he was making a reference to himself as the master of the feast who invites people, but they make excuses. That's possible, since he himself associates with the blind and the sick and does not hesitate to sit down with sinners. Well, I'm certainly not going to fill my house with beggars because invited guests make their excuses. But why could no one answer him when he asked if it was lawful to cure on the Sabbath? I wanted to get up and tell him it was not. But, uh, well, I thought it best not to provoke a discussion. What answer was there? What do you mean, Ezra? Perhaps our friends in the city can obey the very letter of the law of the Sabbath. But the people here are farmers. We all know any farmer would rescue an animal fallen into a pit Sabbath or not. I was looking at that poor man with dropsy. Was I to say, no, you cannot cure this man because it is unlawful? Was I to deny this man a cure? Then you say it was lawful. No, and there's no doubt about it. It was lawful. No, it was not lawful. But if Jesus chose to break the law, it, it's on his head. Well, what do you say, Ezra? It was not lawful, but it was right. Oh, oh no. such distinctions I... cannot be. There can be no conflict between what is lawful and what is right. Our law was given us by God. And whatever is lawful is right. Whatever is right is lawful. But we always come back, Benjamin, to a man with dropsy who on a Sabbath day met a man who could cure him. He could wait until the morrow for his cure. But if the one who could cure would not be present on the morrow, then what? Well, that... That would be unfortunate. Now Jesus walked along the highway, and great crowds were following him. Perhaps it was that many spoke of wanting to become his disciples. For after a time, Jesus turned and spoke to them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. A hard saying. I love my father and mother. Must one deny his own life to follow this man? And he who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. A cross? The Romans used it to break people. Why must one give up so much? For which of you? Wishing to build a tower, does not sit down first and calculate the outlays that are necessary, whether he has the means to complete it. Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who behold begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. That is what wise. Any carpenter would do that. Or what king, setting out to engage in battle with another king, 
does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with his 10,000 men to meet him who with 20,000 is coming against him, or else while the other is yet at a distance, he sends a delegation and asks the terms of peace. So therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all that he possesses cannot be my disciple. It is too much. Not many can give so much. I cannot follow this doctrine. Salt is good. But if even the salt loses its strength, what shall it be seasoned with? It is fit neither for the land nor for the manure heap, but must be thrown out. He who has ears to hear let him hear. And as Jesus spoke, the publicans and sinners were drawing near to him, to listen to him. And they jostled the scribes and the Pharisees, who were aghast at the welcome Jesus gave to the sinners. Behold, this man welcomes sinners. He even eats with them. Didn't you hear of the feast he once attended at the house of Levi, the former publican? Yes, I do recall. And didn't Levi become one of his disciples? Yes. He changed his name to Matthew. Yes. He's the one standing to the left of Jesus. What man of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the desert and go after that which is lost until he finds it. Benjamin, he's looking right at us. Yes, and notice how the crowd likes what he's saying. When he has found it, he lays it upon his shoulders, rejoicing, and on coming home he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my sheep that was lost. Now, what's the point of this talk about sheep? Wait, wait, he hasn't finished. I say to you that even so, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, more than over ninety-nine who have no need of repentance. That is remarkable. What, this simple story? Why, it's nothing. No, no, not the story. But the feeling I have, he can read our minds. Just now we mentioned how he received sinners. Now he tells this story, as if in answer. Yes, you're right. You're quite right. Or what woman, having ten drachmas, if she loses one drachma, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? But when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the drachma that I have lost. Even so, I say to you, there will be joy among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And all these things and more, Jesus spoke to the crowds in Transjordan before turning his face toward Jerusalem.
And these things Jesus spoke to the sinners and publicans who pressed close to him, and to the Pharisees who stood to one side, lest the garments of the despised touch against them. And after he told them the parable of the lost coin, he paused for a moment, and then began to tell them another parable of a man who had two sons. Defraud not the poor of alms, and turn not away thy eyes from the poor. Despise not the hungry soul, and provoke not the poor in his want. Afflict not the heart of the needy, and defer not to give to him that is in distress. Reject not the petition of the afflicted, and turn not thy face away from the needy. Thank you for listening to this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour, brought to you by the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement. For over 110 years, the Friars have devoted themselves to fulfilling St. Francis' prayer, to heal wounds, to unite what has fallen apart, and to bring home those who have lost their way. We work for Christian unity and interreligious understanding. We provide respite at our retreat center at Greymoor for those in need of spiritual renewal. We staff parishes throughout the world, serve as chaplains for colleges, hospitals, and prisons. We care for the ill through hospice work, ministry to those with HIV AIDS. We also shelter the homeless and provide treatment and services for those suffering from alcoholism and drug addiction. If you would like to be included in our prayer list, participate in special St. Anthony Novenas, and or visit St. Anthony Shrine Graymore. Attend a retreat, learn more about our Ave Maria Hour productions, or simply make a donation to assist us in fulfilling St. Francis' prayer to help those in need. Please visit our website at atonementfriars.org or email me at avemaria at atonementfriars.org. You can write to me, Father Bob, Friars of the Atonement Graymore. Post Office Box 300, Garrison, New York, 10524. And so, in closing, I ask for the blessing of God upon you and those you love. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he look upon you with kindness and give you his peace. Amen. <laughs>